Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, Good morning. We are live this morning with guest host, Emily Bouchard. Good morning. Welcome to Sylvia Global. And Sylvia is still in New York having a amazing trip. We can't wait to let you know about all the different people that are going to be on the show in the future. And uh, this week she is uh, at a conference where she's going to be meeting with 15 first ladies from different nations. And she is going to get to interview them. So it's very exciting really, really expanding this whole conversation about women in roles of leadership, the power of influence because of our networks, because of our uh, our families, because of our name, because of our wealth, and how we can really move the world in the direction we want as a result of that. And that is what today's show is going to focus on. I'm your guest host, Emily Bouchard, and this show on Tuesday mornings is a live show where we focus on wealth psychology. We look at the emotional impact of wealth in our lives and how to really clear away whatever might be keeping us from thriving, enjoying what we have, enjoying our abundance, our affluence, and doing the most we can with it. So uh, normally I'm here with my partner, Jamie Traeger-Muni, who uh, resides in Israel, and she is in Greece at the moment. So uh, we are very global right now, all over the world, um, touching in and meeting with women that are really caring about changing this whole way that we um, image and be in the world around our wealth and our money. So today's show, we've entitled Designing Your Future Now. And what we're looking at is this whole concept of legacy. And it's something that financial planners talk about as a way to, to start broadening the conversation. It's something that people may have in the back of their minds, even in the midst of our very busy daily life, which is, what am I doing now and how will it reflect on me in the future? And how are people going to remember me and what is my mark going to be on the world? You know, when I interview clients for the work I do in family meetings, when I ask the question, how do you want to be remembered, what I will often hear from people is just the sweetest, most simple things in life, like, oh, that I was a good mother, that, you know, I was really there for people when they needed me, that um, yeah, I was a good citizen, that I, I gave back in a way that, um, you know, people valued. And it's, it's these key components. I typically don't hear, you know, that I made my first million at age 25. And, I mean, I'm talking about what I'm talking about men and women. It's the same. It's core, core values of what really drives us and what matters most to us. And, you know, research shows again and again that the reason why people accumulate wealth, have it, want it, is truly about how they can make a difference in the lives of the people that they care about and make the world better for the, their families, their children, their grandchildren, posterity, 
and and oftentimes that extends out to being global citizens and the world at large and uh, how do I make my community better? How do I make my country better? How do I make things work better so that more people can benefit? And oftentimes that can be pretty challenging. And one of the things that plays out in the research and something that we experience quite often is that uh, people are surprised to learn that one of the most paralyzing, overwhelming, and difficult things that needs to be overcome in life when wealth is in the picture is having too many choices. And, you know, there's this whole thing of when people find out about what Jamie and I do for a living, there's this, oh, yeah, I should have your client's problems. But the reality is that when significant wealth enters our lives for whatever reason, there are a host of complex, dynamic issues, challenges, and dilemmas that we have never been prepared for in our lifetime, and we can't be prepared for on a certain level until we experience it. And one of those is when we have unlimited choice and opportunity and possibility, there's this extraordinary overwhelm that happens in terms of, well, how do I make the right choice? And if I make this choice, but there's all these other ones, maybe there's one that's even better. And anybody who's listening who's ever spent any time online dating knows exactly what I'm talking about. It's a whole phenomenon that happens where no matter who it is that you find that seems like they're the right person, there's always a sense of, well, maybe there's more. And then when you add into the equation the significant affluence, wealth, uh, notoriety, names that might also be connected to you, what's ironic is sometimes you feel like your choices are quite limited in terms of, well, who's a person that is going to want to be with me for me and not because of my money, my name, my wealth, my influence? And it can be very confusing. So what we wanted to talk about today was how to really begin to hone in and tap into who am I, why am I here, what is it that I want to be doing, but from a different place than you might ordinarily expect. So when I talk to clients that come to me with this and they're overwhelmed with, I don't know what to do, oftentimes they'll say, I have to find the one thing. And there are a lot of books about, you know, finding your life's purpose and what is yours to do. And, you know, it's like putting your stake in the ground around one thing. And with all these unlimited possibilities, one of the approaches that we strongly recommend and open up to our clients to consider is, how to really embody who you are and what your values are and tapping into your being in the world and your noticing the world from a different perspective so that the world starts to show you and inform you about what it is that you're drawn to do that speaks to you in your heart and that is uh, the right best thing for you to step into right then in that moment. Not always, not right, not not for the rest of your life, but more. I'm going to follow this direction and see where it leads me. And I can speak to it directly from my experience. I had a very non-linear uh, route to doing this work. People often ask me, "How did you end up working with ultra-high net worth clients on the emotional impact of wealth?" And I came to it. Very from a very different lens than somebody who, you know, Jamie, she came to it from a family where there is affluence and she is an inheritor and she started asking those internal questions. 
And that's incredibly valuable. And then I bring to it this other perspective of I I came into the world, you know, with privilege and affluence in the sense of I had a family that absolutely put a strong emphasis on education. And so it wasn't a question of whether I was going to go to college or not. It was a question of which Ivy League school I was going to. So it was really about applying yourself with education as best you could with the idea that nobody can take away your education. You can take it with you wherever you go, and it is uh, something that opens doors, and especially the more prestigious the school you go to, the more doors it will open. And I came from a family that insisted on that, and I really benefited from that understanding of, wow, I have that option and opportunity. And I also was aware from a very young age that not everybody did. And we always did uh, things related to um, giving back. And uh, I remember when we would go trick-or-treating, what was even more important than how much candy we, we took in was how much money was in that UNICEF box and learning about UNICEF and how children all over the world that didn't get to knock on doors and get candy weren't even getting food in their bellies. And wow, what could I do to help that? So I had that from a young age, too. And then I decided to go into social work. So I went into a field that was all about helping the underprivileged, the what you might call the needy, the um, people who don't have a lot, and see what I could do to make a difference in their lives. And ended up uh, focusing on child development and uh, marital and family therapy. And then when I went to... Uh, start looking for work and, and internships. I worked in an inner city school in Dallas with um, kids that were dealing every day with drive-by shootings. Um, one of my students' brothers was killed in a gang um, violence incident. Uh, one student's father died of a drug overdose. Another student's uh, parents both had um, HIV and AIDS. And this was in the early 90s when treatment wasn't as good as it is now. Um, and it was always to me a miracle that these children were in the classroom in their desk, and they wanted to learn. And it was like everything we did after that was gravy, and everything we could do to make it so that they were safe and had warm food in their bellies for one meal a day and that we could um, help educate them in some way to maybe make it so their lives had a couple of different options felt really great. And then my role as a therapeutic teacher was to interface with the two parents and to support the children in their learning process as much as they could, given all of the challenges that they were facing. So that was how I got started. And then I ended up uh, moving into the world of foster care and adoption and worked with uh, remarkable uh, people that couldn't have children or had children but wanted more and they wanted to adopt children out of the foster care system and helping them and really supporting them and understanding, wow, how do you parent a child that you didn't give birth to, that somebody raised and really did some awful things to, so much so that they're not allowed to parent that child anymore? How do you build trust? How do you rebuild trust? How do you communicate and create boundaries in a way that's effective? So really dove into that with a lot of gusto and found myself going there. And I have to say, when I went and got my degree in social work and child development, I didn't think, I want to be in foster care and adoption. It happened because I met somebody at a uh, full moon circle bringing in the new year one year. And she was the head of a adoption agency, and she found out what I did. It was a, I was a social worker looking for my next job, and she said, oh, we have an opening. And it was walking through that open door and stepping through and saying, oh, I could do that. 
and seeing where it led me. And it's this kind of curious route, this opening, this discovery, this mood of what is here, what's next. And after I did that for a while, I realized, wow, I am fascinated by family dynamics, especially when people are raising children that they haven't given birth to. And around that same time, I became a stepmother. And I had two teenage stepdaughters and a wonderful husband, and I didn't have a clue. I was looking at what I was doing with these families when I was with them for an hour at a time, and suddenly I was in it 24-7. And I started a uh, couples group and a women's group and really looked at how do we make this work? How do we do this on a daily basis so that we can thrive in our families and people can be happier and we're not like feeling so embattled all the time? And how do we move with these explosive emotional landlines that you know, just come up in our faces when we're here? And I learned a ton in my own family and from the people that were in the groups that I started. And we were in this learning laboratory together, and I started writing about step-family dynamics and what does it look like to be in a step-mom situation or a step-child or blending families together. And ended up launching a very, um, you know, intimate coaching practice on blended families. And the next year, that was 2003, and the next year I was introduced to a company that works with ultra-high net worth families uh, through an uh, acquaintance that I met at a training that I went to. And again, it was these random introductions. These, uh, just, I kept taking steps. And what I realized was I had this really strong declaration in my heart that I wanted to do whatever I could to bring more peace to family. And that was really the underlying core value that was driving all of my decisions and choices and all the steps I took through different doors that opened. And what if I can do to bring peace to family? And when I started my coaching practice, I shared on another uh, time with uh, Gail Sylvia that I worked with women in Africa who could never afford my services. And then when I was asked to work with ultra-high net worth families, I had to look at it and say, wow, is this a population I want to work with? And I thought, well, they're families, and if I can do something to bring peace to their lives, why not? So I moved into that arena and found out that it was great because I kept treating people like people who have the same issues and concerns that anybody with a family has. And then I learned a ton about what it takes to be a successful family when you have significant wealth. And what I'm wanting to get across from that story is I kept following my heart, and I kept saying yes to opportunities that opened up in relationship to what spoke to my heart. And along the way, I had other opportunities that I said yes to that weren't right for my heart. At one point, I went into real estate because my husband at the time was in real estate and said, hey, let's work together. And so I thought, okay, and I got my real estate license, and we went to work together, and I did not like it. It didn't resonate with my values. I mean, I was able to look at, oh, I can help families find houses that they like. But I wasn't getting in there and really helping them with their relationships and their dynamics, and that's what really spoke to me. So I, I quit real estate, and it was an interesting thing. I went to that door. I was successful, got the license, got listings, was going forward. Everybody said, wow, rising star. And I realized I have to walk away from this. It's draining me. I feel exhausted all the time. The joy has gone way down. I'm not working as many hours as I did when I was doing adoptions and foster care, but I'm not getting forced. I'm not feeling fulfilled. 
And it was willing to have the courage to say, this is not what I thought it was. I need to shift gears and go for what does teach me. And when I left that, I thought, well, maybe I'll go into medicine. And I went and I started, I enrolled in, enrolled in school and started taking courses. And whenever I started talking about what I wanted to do as a doctor, it all came down to connecting with people, connecting with their communities, really bringing healthy relationships into the conversation. And then it was this question of, well, why not just go for that? And so that's when I really thought, okay, I'm going to put my neck out and launch the coaching practice. And that's what happened. Everything started to blossom from there because I made a step towards what really, really inspired me. And, you know, you could say I found my life's purpose, or you could say I just kept following what made my heart sing. So that would be what I would want you to start looking at for your own lives. Is if you're looking at, wow, I have a lot of choices here and I'm dissatisfied with what I'm doing, or I have a lot of choices here and I'm finding myself nudged to go in a different direction than I actually thought I would or how I envisioned myself, allow those nudges to inform you. And, you know, you can take little steps towards it. I mean, I came up with a huge goal of wanting to go across country and do what I could to really meet communities right where they were and live in an RV and do that. And I got some great uh, support. And one of the questions that I was asked was, you know, if you wanted to be an orchard farmer, would you go out and buy a whole greenhouse and all the equipment or would you start gardening and get your hands in the dirt and find out what that's like? So I found out that, uh, Renee, you're on the line and that you have a question. And I have delighted um, that you're calling in and would love to hear what your question is and how I can help you. Yes. Renee? Mm-hmm. I was trying to reach your title and it came up like uh, part of it only and I'm just listening to you and I don't know if you do or could you explain to me exactly what you do that way I can form my question in the right direction? Sure. Thanks, Renee. I'm so glad you're listening in and that you're taking the time to call in. So my role is uh, as an um, expert in wealth psychology and helping people as a money coach, wealth coach, and family coach. So I help people with their relationships with their money, with um, communicating about money within their family dynamics, and if there's a significant wealth in your life, then it's about, wow, how do I handle those specific complexities that are um, dealing with the advisors and the financial decisions and estate planning that com- comes with that territory. Does that help? That does. And I'm kind of in the middle, and it's funny because I'm reading right now Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Oh, a classic, fabulous book, yes. Yes, I'm enjoying it immensely. And like I said, I'm in the middle because I have a son who's in college. And then I have parents that are in their 80s. And so I'm kind of like stagnant because it's like I have so much responsibility and yet, and I've always been self-sufficient. You know, I work and I work in the corporate America and I make pretty good, but it still seems like nothing's ever coming to meet where I want it to meet because I literally had to start over at 40. So... I'm trying to strategize myself a plan for me to save so I can buy another house and start my life. 
Oh, wow. So that this is great. And I know that a lot of listeners can completely relate to what you're saying. Do you have a specific question or do you want me to speak in general to your experience and give you some, some guidelines? What would be best for you? You can um, form it in however you'd like to because I'm just okay. open right now. I'm just, I'm waiting for an explosion. And that was my um, great. Well, Man this is a wonderful time. Yeah. Um, well, congratulations, first of all, for launching your son in college. That's always a big, uh, you know, it's what a launch point for any mother. It's a big deal. So I want to acknowledge you for that. And um, we often work with people that a lot of people refer to as the sandwich generation, which is exactly where you are. You're squeezed between a son that has his needs as he's getting out there in the world and 80-year-old parents that are having, it's almost like they're becoming more like children again where you're having to deal with more day-to-day decisions more and anticipating more needs down the road. And one of the things we call this is the Oreo cookie because it's like your son's one cookie, your parents are the other cookie, and you're getting cleaned in the middle, right? You're just right there. All those needs, all of their pressures are determining a lot of where you can move. And it's uh, going to get more challenging with your parents as they get older and as illnesses start to show up. And it'll be a little bit less so involved with your son as he gets more independent. And it's about, wow, who am I in the midst of all of this? And how do I start to create my life and my world and my flow in a way where I am truly coming from my heart, my authentic self, in what I'm handling. And so I work with clients dealing with similar situations. And one of the places is I, that I start with is, are your parents competent? Are they able to make decisions still for themselves? Oh, most definitely. I mean, like I said, my dad is like 88 my mom's 78. So, you know, they're up there, but they still drive. They do have some health issues. Yes, we're very much alert. And my son, unfortunately, he's got so many of my traits. He's so independent and opinionated that he bugs me. (laughs) Well, okay. Well, one thing I'm going to let you know is um, oftentimes when our children reflect back to us, um, our own traits, we can get pretty irritated. So I'm going to give you a couple of uh, uh, little things you can do with him and with your parents. Uh, to get you launched on your way in terms of your life. So one you can do with him is whenever he shows up in a way that bugs you, I invite you to write down what it is you think he should be doing. Like, I don't know, you know, my son shouldn't be doing this or he should be doing this, whatever it is that's bugging you. And then use that as your own prescription and put your name where his name is and take a look at what it is that you should be focusing on that you're either avoiding or not doing that is going to really start to shift you. And then he becomes a little bit of a guideline or guide light to you in terms of what I need to be looking at next in my life. His life is his. He's going to do what he does. You can engage in that or you can say, oh, what's he pointing to for me that I want to start looking at for me? Does that make sense? It definitely does because, like, one of the main characteristics is the past. I mean, I just like himself, you know, because he always had his father there, but he and I got a divorce um, when he was 
15. And Mm -hmm. so that was really a turning point for him. And so he can't forget that. And unfortunately, I mean, I have to admit to my mistake, I more or less was like, I get what what you're saying. So here's what I want to offer you. Um, I love using analogies that anybody can relate to. So uh, whatever relates for you all, I don't know. Like, I'm going to give you a tree because that's what's coming up right now. That, you know, when a tree is growing, sometimes something will happen in the environment that will make the tree have a particular crook in its trunk or in its branches. And it might have been that there was a tremendous storm that had it kind of lean a certain way. And I don't know if you've ever seen this, but where trees will start to grow straight up from wherever that kink happens. And what you and your son can do is you can look at, yeah, yeah, that was a time that really challenged us. And we all did the best we could given our skills, our abilities, whatever was going on then. And what can we do now moving forward to make it so we can grow straight and tall and up from there? And then you keep forward reaching, envisioning towards the future that you want to create. And how do we want to be given that history as opposed to having it be the thing that if all you do is focus on the crook, you're not going to get growing straight. You're going to keep going in that crooked way. Right. So that can be helpful. Um, and then for your, I just want to say with your parents, while they still are with it, this is where you want to start having the conversations with them around, I mean, just really, hey, what if? Can we just talk about some what ifs and let's make sure that everybody's on the same page about what you want and we have documents that you've written up to guide us so that if, God forbid, something should happen where I have in the position of having to make a decision for you, I know I'm doing exactly what you want me to do and everybody else in the family does too and you all know that you're getting taken care of the way you want. So if that's not in place, you want to make sure there's a power of attorney and that there's a medical or durable power of attorney in place and that they write down their wishes. Like, what do they want in terms of if they have to have care? Or what do they want if somebody is suddenly not competent and can't, um, they want to stay in their own home? If they can't drive anymore, what are their options for that? Like, really being in this place where I want you to live long, healthy lives for the rest of your lives for you know, the next 20 years I want you around and more. And, gosh, I'm seeing other people's parents dealing with these things. Would you all be willing to just explore this with me and just come up with all kinds of what-if scenarios and capture it? Like you write it down. You're their note taker, and you just capture all that as they talk. And you just throw out the what-ifs, and they talk, and you capture it. And then when you're done, you give them what you've written down. Or, I, you know, I did it with my parents, and I just sent them a document. And then they uh, they decided that they wanted to um, go to their lawyer six months later. And they said, hey, do you still have those notes? And I did. I put it in a file where I knew where it was. And I said, yeah. And I sent it to them. I met with their lawyer. And they came up with, uh, they revised their will. They did a power of attorney. They did their durable power of attorney. And they wrote up their wishes for their funeral. And now all my siblings and I and extended family have copies of this, and we know what their wishes are. So definitely take right. advantage while they're – and I, I'm going to have to go because I've got some other people waiting, but I wanted to thank you for your call, Renee. No, thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks so much. Uh, Dana, are you still on the line? Are you available? 
I am. Hi, sorry to keep you waiting. Well, what can I do for oh, you? No, it's okay. It's actually been very helpful listening um, listening into the response that you were giving for the other caller. Okay. And, uh, okay. <laughs> and then well, also just, just listening to what you were sharing about yourself, um, there were certain things that I could relate to in terms of, uh, you know, kind of going in one direction and, and seeking career paths and and um, being more service-driven and wanting to assist people and then saying, okay, well, you know, what's going, uh, what to do from there and following the heart like you were saying and really just finding what it is that can bring you joy and and also and captures the passion that you have for uh, working with people. So that, that did um, help me to kind of feel more confident about if, the career paths um, up to this point haven't really fulfilled the full need that um, it's okay to still search for what will give me more of that complete feeling of, you know, satisfied with the work that I'm doing and also feeling like it's it's not just, oh, I'm going to a job and it's only a job, but really having that passion and it being a career uh, so the question that I have for um, more along the financial side would be, um, unlike the caller before where she has, you know, parents that are older and a child in college to deal with, I'm at the other end where I'm just starting out my family and really trying to um, determine the best way to start setting up a good foundation so that financially for myself and then also for my children that um, I got enough of an early start so that as they get older and they come to those places in life where they will need financial assistance for, you know, decisions that will help better their future that I'll already mm-hmm. have that place, and I'm just trying to determine, okay, where's the best place to start? How how old are the children? I'm sorry. What are their so ages? So I have I have a daughter that is 17 months. Oh, and then I, congratulations! Uh, and I'm also expecting, so I'm really at the very beginning. <laughs> <laughs> you are being super proactive. That's fantastic. Oh my gosh. Well, you know it. it I'm. <laughs> There's some great um, uh, tools you can use. Uh, we do a talk on philanthropy beginning at five. Um, there's terrific books you can start to introduce with um, all kinds of things around mindfulness and choices. And, you know, I told the story about the UNICEF box at Halloween. Um, I remember um, always being given, um, when we would go to Sunday school, a, a quarter to give to a um, to something else. And, um Opening up that conversation, whatever age they are, typically it takes around age five to begin to understand even a little bit about the abstract uh, um, aspect of money. Children just don't get it. Um, so you, what you do is you, you do it with sharing and with um, little things, like when you get something new, choose something that's older that we're going to give to somebody else that can't buy, go and buy something new. Or, right. you know, where you, you're... you're 
instilling in them this idea of we can save for things, we can go buy things, and we can also give and share. Children really understand fairness and sharing. And when you bring into their awareness about um, how there's things that aren't fair, you know, and you, you'll you'll have lots of opportunities in your environment, homeless people, um, injured animals, uh, maybe there's a child that they'll, they'll encounter that um, just doesn't look like they have as much as you all have. You know, they'll, they'll be curious, really tapping into their curiosity and then continuing to keep that conversation around how do we give back and how do we feel really grateful for what we have and we don't take it for granted. Like, this could all be gone tomorrow. There but by the grace of God go I. You know, that kind of mentality. And children also really, a great way to start with them is with animals. They just, they love animals and there's ways to incorporate their interest in the local zoo or the shelter or um, there's all kinds of things that you can do to engage them. And great books and resources, and I'll make sure that we get some of those up on the site so you can know about those. Well, wonderful question. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I have, so I have some other callers. Oh, Well, thank you so much, Dana, and have a great day. And Mark, you've been, Mark, you've been waiting. Are you still on the line? Yes, how are you? Hi, sorry to keep you waiting. What can I do for you? Hey, you know, my question has to do with, you know, dealing with your uh, your children after they've gone to college and just trying to determine how much you should do and how much you shouldn't do and what's best for them and how to you know, get them kind of going on their own and doing their own thing and just how much assistance you should provide. Oh, great question. So what's the assistance they're getting right now? Are you paying for their tuition, their room and board? Like, give me a sense of what it looks like right now. Oh, no, say they're already out of school, but you're still just, you're just still involved <laughs> in their life. <laughs> oh, they've already graduated from college. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, it's such a tricky time, and you are not alone in this one. I'm sure you're well aware of this, that a lot of kids are moving home or they're totally still dependent on their parents, and, you know, there's this tough economy. And I mean, I'm sure you hear all kinds of things. Um, one of the things that we really look at is how to open up the conversation with them around their relationship with money in their lives and helping them understand the inflow and the outflow. And... Um, really, like, what? let's get a reality check. What's their um, debt? What's their, what is it that they have in terms of what they owe, if it's student loans or credit card, and what kind of money do they have coming in and from where? And if they're just like, if they don't want to have anything to do with it, then you can say, you know, you know, I get that. I can totally, it's your life. But as long as I am financially supporting you, um, you don't actually have that level of privacy and independence when it comes to your finances. If you want that, that's great. I'm happy to stop supporting you. If you don't want me to know, no problem. And it's probably the best phrase I can give to parents, which is if you get pushback from your kids as they're struggling to find out who they are as adults, you can just be in this place of no problem. You know, there's a lot of other things I can be doing with that money and, um I'm I'm happy to keep supporting you, and I need to have a really good sense with you about what's going on. So it's like a natural uh, way of having empathy, and 
you know, the consequences of the situation. They very much want to be independent. They want to be on their own. They want to show that they're competent. And they need some skills and some ability to be able to do that, obviously, if they're still dependent. So you look at what are the skills that they have that bring forward their independence and what are the skills that they have that they need to maybe build on and work on more. Uh, So, like, one of the things that I often recommend is tap into their love of technology. Do do your um, kids enjoy being on the computer? Oh, yes, of course. Okay, great. Well, there's wonderful programs on uh, the computer. Uh, Mint is one, mint.com, that makes it really easy to track finances, and it's it's, um, user-friendly, easy to use, and it's something that you can sit down with them together so you understand it and they understand it, and you can get reports with it, and you can really track the inflow and outflow of cash. And you want to open up the whole conversation around expenses, and uh, what what you need to be spending money on, like what are necessities, what are not necessities that are being spent on, how to decrease those, and then how to begin to save even as you're taking care of debt, and how are you giving back. So having those three different areas to look at, spending, sharing, saving. You can start with any, any age. Do you have any recommended Do you have any recommended um, read? That's subject. Yeah, great question. There are some books. Um, good Kids, Tough Choices is one that's really good um, for any age group. And um, let me think of another one. Um, I'm trying to think of some off the top of my head. I will, I'll create a list and put it on the website for sure. Um, there's The big thing is I really encourage the kids to get involved in this for themselves. So what I would say is have a conversation based in curiosity with them around what's your relationship to your money situation? What are you happy about? What are you concerned about? What keeps you up at night? What has you anxious? What has you like, I'm not even going there because it's too big and I feel too vulnerable, right? Like they need to know that they can talk to you about it in a way where they're not going to be judged or made wrong, or where you're going to get angry at them. So that's really important that you create this space that, hey, I just want to have a conversation around you and your relationship to your money. I want to know where you are with this. And then you talk with them around what are some resources we can start looking at together. Online resources and um, books or programs, and have them do some research. Um, there's some great resources out there, uh, and you got to look at what's right for you. Like Dave Ramsey is totally respected uh, radio show host, talks about finances, and he has a Christian background. He works for some people, not for others. Uh, Susie Orman, another great example. Boy, does she rub people the wrong way, but boy, does she have some great information that people love. So there's... Lots of free resources online you can check out. There are um, great books. I would say if they're local, you know, going to a local bookstore or the local library, pulling out a bunch of books together and looking at them. Like getting engaged in the conversation with them. And if they're not local, you can use Skype. Um, and then there's another resource that I just found out about that's phenomenal. It's uh, Khan Academy. I think it's K-H-A-N Academy. And he does every kind of math you can imagine 
um, little short segments online. So if somebody's like, I don't even have the first clue about money, go to his academy. He's got phenomenal resources. And I'm hoping to have him on the show because he's so good. So I hope that's a place to start for you. Okay. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thanks for calling in, Mark. Thanks so much. Solomon, are you um, still here? Are you available? Hi, Ellie. Hi, what are you what what are you calling about? What can I support you with? You know, I'm on way to deliver a um workshop at a women's conference, an international women's conference in Rome and it's just you know, I have all different women that come there but I mean um that'll be attending and many of them I don't know if they're actually in the high level of wealth with the women that you deal with, but I'm so dealing with women who make a lot more money than the men that they're dating or that they would like to be dating at least. So I just wondered if you had anything to say about that in terms of, um, of you know, starting in a family if you have more money than somebody and it's not exactly blended, but you have the money and they don't. Wow, great question. And congratulations. What's the name of this uh, conference? That was really fantastic. It's called Women's International Networking, and it'll be in Rome starting on October 2nd, and there'll be somewhere between 900 and 1,000 women from over 80 countries. Wow, we're going to make sure that we get that on our site, Women's International Networking in Rome, because this is an international global show, and who knows, maybe there's some women listening that are going to want to be there. That's awesome. Um, It's it's winconference.net. Thank you, winconference.net. Oh, my gosh, I love getting more resources for our listeners. So great question. What do you do when there's this, wow, the women are showing up more and more as the um, breadwinners or the ones that are really um, uh, bringing more money to the relationship than the men in their lives, the men that they love, the men that they want to be with? How do you enter into this conversation? How do you take care? And one of the things that we strongly encourage is opening up and having the conversation about money when you feel like there's enough trust to have it. And um, as you know, it's as taboo, if not more so, than sex. And we've had some conversations about that on this show. Um, People are not comfortable in terms of talking about money. It is so private, so personal, that they're more comfortable talking about, say, sex than they are about money. And what we want to encourage is you need to have the safe money conversation, too. Like, really, what are your values related to money? What, you know, what are you, more of a sender, a saver? Where do you find that? And you will learn a ton about the person that you are wanting to get intimately involved with and take, you know, create a family with by how they move and respond to you around money. Are they defensive? Are they private? Are they very quick to answer? And maybe you're wondering, wow, is that the whole story? You want to make sure that you are taking your time and really assessing this person. I'm working with a client um, couple right now. They have a blended family situation. They're um, in a country over in the Middle East, and they love each other dearly. They had a 10-month courtship, and once they got married, oh, my gosh, everything came apart because, wait, you didn't tell me you had all this debt. Wait, how are you? taking care of your lifestyle went before. I thought you were going to take care of it. All of these things came forward that were not there. And the other, you know, oh, yeah, there'll be room in my home for you. We'll clear the space. We'll make it work for you. And then the space didn't get cleared. And so they both went into their positions of 
I can't trust you. You misrepresented. You didn't tell me the whole truth. And now their marriage, which is so, so tender and new and vulnerable, is really on shaky ground because the foundation that they started out on had a crack in it because they weren't able to come forward and speak openly and honestly about their money and about uh, their goals financially and their um, commitment to each other in terms of what it is each is bringing to the relationship and how they were going to, to share their finances. And um, what is it you're speaking on? Are you speaking on um, this particular thing around relationships and money? Well, I, I have to laugh because you basically just kind of gave a paragraph out of my speech. <laughs> <laughs> the name of my talk is, and I have a body of work called Sex, Money, and Relationships. <laughs> oh, my, my gosh, we have to get you on this show. <laughs> the, name of my, the, name, the name of this talk is Sex, Money, and Relationship, Express Your Needs with Ease. So, I mean, I'm just laughing because oh, I think I have to collaborate with Emily sometime. Because, I'm, you know, because, um, and it's basically, like you said, I couldn't agree more. People are quicker to talk about their sex lives than they are about money. Neither of them are easy to talk about, but people will talk about their sex lives before their money. And it's a profound thing. And I teach about how to communicate about those things. And so that's what I'm oh. going to be doing is teaching exactly that. But it's kind of, it was really fun to hear your perspective about, you know, making more money, and I agree with you completely. And when you said when the trust, bring the subject matter up when the trust has been established, and that is so subjective, of course. But, yeah. you know, one of the things, and this is not about blended wealth exactly, you know, one of the things is like some of the younger women in my demographic tends to be women in their 20s and 30s, but some of the younger women are, you know, who pays for dinner? You know what I'm saying? Oh, so great You question. go out to dinner, whether they have money or not, who pays for dinner, and when do you discuss that? And that's one of the big okay. things. And every woman I mention that to rolls her eyes and goes, oh, my God, that's when I run to the bathroom. Oh, my God, I never know what to do. Oh, my God, well, you he know, paid for dinner. <laughs> I, I, um, there's a good chance I'm going to be on Steve Harvey's uh, TV show. Uh, they contacted me this week. And I started doing my background research on him because, you know, I've heard him before, but I've never seen his show. And, oh, my gosh, his book, I think every woman needs to get his book. He's hysterical, and he has really good wisdom in there. And one of the things he says in that book, which is like, okay, I want to be on this man's show, is women, you need to have your standards, you need to seek your standards, and you see if the man shows up meeting those standards. And one of those is you expect him to pay. You expect him to pay for your dinner. You expect him to pay for the ticket. You expect him to take that on. And if he doesn't show up like that, you're getting some really important data. And don't be so afraid of losing this guy. And here's the thing that I say to women that have more affluence, more wealth, they're bringing more to the, the table. Oh, I love how he says it. They have a benefits package that is beyond belief for these men, way beyond their money. And the more that they really show up as, you've got to show up with me and show me that you deserve and have earned the right for all these benefits, the better. And we need to have our standards in place. And even if we could pay for it, doesn't mean we should pay for it. And that's really important. And you take that and take that to Rome with you. <laughs> that's so important. 
I, I agree. And then there is that one, because when money and sex and the whole thing gets a little blended, <laughs> pardon the word blended, but um, it's, it's the young woman, the, you know, somebody who does pay for dinner quite a bit, and sometimes she has to be able to kind of step into the shoes of that receiving energy that you just talked about, such that she just that that's just fine and she doesn't feel like she owes him anything in return. It's so important. And right. for her to treat herself that she's worthy of respect, that she has that worthiness. Right. Oh, I just went and heard uh, Brene Brown speak about her new book, Daring Greatly, and oh, do I have a goal to have her on this show. And one of the things that she speaks about really strongly, she's done a lot of research on vulnerability and shame. And one of the key components of her work is um, that when we believe that we are worthy of being loved is when we will experience truly being loved. And it comes down to this belief in our own worthiness. And what happens for people who have more wealth, significant wealth, more than what they believe that they, you know, well, somebody else doesn't have as much, or do I deserve this? If there's some place where you don't necessarily feel worthy, then you're going to show up um, in a place of uh, trying to um, prove it or give back or make yourself a little bit smaller. And that can often look like picking up the tab when you're out with all your friends, well, because I can and they can't. Um, and picking up the tab when you're dating, which really, as you will understand, can often emasculate the man that you're with. Right. I mean, I don't know if you want to speak more into that, but there's something there in terms of a man being able to show up in his role. Oh, absolutely. And, um, I mean, I, I know you can speak probably more to this than me, but I know women who have been more successful or had more money than men, and they work it out all different ways. And one way has been, I know a woman who just said, we're setting up a joint account. You're having the checkbook. I don't care where the money comes from. We don't need you to make money, but I need you to pick up the bill because I need to feel like a woman and to receive. And that's what we just need to work it out like that. But she never paid for the dinners, even though the money, quote, unquote, came from her whether it was her family or her business, it didn't matter. She had plenty of money for both of them, but they worked it out so that he could feel the masculinity of being able to to pay, to pay for the dinner, take care of her, not have anybody else go, you know, whispering behind their backs, even if he imagined it, you know? And it's, That's really it's, great. And there's a couple of other pieces I would add to that that are really important for couples. That's a brilliant um you know, especially if he's showing up in other ways that are um, really giving support and, you know, where he gets to show up as the, the, the man in her life in terms of um, whether it's fixing things or, um, you know, just really being there for her in a way where there's a, there's a, he feels like he's contributing. Um, the two other things I would add are, one, um, whatever the joint account is, they can decide what percentages they put in based on how much each of them is bringing to the relationship. So if his earning potential, let's say, is um, 50% less than hers given their roles, then she would put in twice as much money as he would. But they both put something into the shared account so that he is contributing. And then that shared account is where the bills are paid from. And here's the, here's the key is you make a decision as a couple on what amount from that shared pot and dollar amount goes into each of your personal accounts. 
So um, let's say um, you have 10000 a month going into the shared account, and you have a decision that each of you has $500 that go into personal accounts that you get to play with and do whatever you want with. Or maybe it's 1000 in each account. That means that you have 9000 in your shared account to pay all of your expenses out of. So the sense of equal going into each of your personal accounts that you have, you know, he can go and buy what he wants without asking for her permission. She can go get as many shoes as she wants and he doesn't look at her scans, you know, whatever it looks like. And that's just, you know, one example of many. And then you can also decide from that shared account how much is going to go towards giving back, shared giving, like charitable, so that he has the capacity to make decisions around that with her. And the other piece is, I love the idea of giving the man the role of balancing the checkbook and writing the bills out and doing that. One of the dangerous traps that women can fall into in that situation is abdicating their responsibility in terms of making sure they're aware of what's happening with the finances in their lives. And it can be quite the setup for um, a slippery slope to happen down the line. So you want to make sure that once a month you're sitting down with each other and you're going over the the monthly expenses, really balancing everything and saying, hey, what do we need to adjust from our budget? So it's a we conversation and it's um, building more trust and building more of a a shared purpose with our wealth. Does that make sense? Totally and really important for us to not give away our power at any level, at any stage of the process. Yes, empowering the men in our lives and not giving up power in the process and making sure that there's a really healthy dynamic with that. Emily, thank you. Wow, thank you. Yeah, I have to I have to jump off. I'm in Boston and I have an appointment with midday here. So um, have wow. a great trip. Well, have a great trip to Rome. Wow. I, when you get back, please call. Let's get in touch and get you on the show. I want to make sure we hear all about it and what the feedback was you got from women from all over the world around this conversation. It's essential. Thank you for Thank doing you. the work. Thank you for doing the work you're doing. It's really exciting. Oh. Thank you. It's been a a great show and super grateful for all the callers that called in and the listeners. And I want to make sure we give you our takeaways. So I want to um, just recap that we were talking about our legacy, how we're moving in the world now and how that defines how we're going to be seen in the future. And then we took some really nice tangents in terms of, wow, what does this look like in terms of our relationship with our children that have left the nest, our parents that are aging, And we talked about how to empower our children, whether they're still in the womb to having just graduated from college, gave you some good resources. And now we want to leave you with a couple of the takeaways that are part of Sylvia Global and this uh, segment on wealth psychology. So what our evocative question is for this week is, and it's going to be a little bit evocative, right? It's imagine that you could witness your own funeral. What would be said about you, your life, and your legacy? What is it that you are remembered for? And if you've never done this exercise, we really invite you to just play with that. And our inspiring invitation is you want to make sure you don't wait until it's too late. You want to know what kind of legacy you are living and stepping into. So when we talk about designing your future now, 
what you may want to do is uh, write down a little visioning exercise in terms of looking back on your life, say 10 years out into the future, say 20 years out in the future, whatever works for you, and write about what your life looks like, whose lives have been touched as a result of choices you've made, what things have happened in the world, and what is life looking like for you right then. Is it the number of houses, the number of shoes, the number of cars, or is it the number of hearts, the number of people, the um, remarkable buildings that have been built, the, the community engagement that's happened? You know, whatever it is that's into your heart that makes you really want to get out of bed in the morning, what does that look like? And start exactly where you are. So one of the things that we invite as a useful tool is to use vision boards. Uh, you know, Shakti Wayne, who's been on Sylvia Global, is she is a total inspiration to me, and she got me started doing visioning boards. You can do collages for your personal life, for your relationship, for your finances, for your career, or one big one with all of those in place. Some people use a, um, a journal that have empty blank pages, and they cut out pictures and just have page after page of different things that they are envisioning. Some people love to doodle and draw. Whatever it is to get that creative flow happening for you to vision and envision that which you want in terms of what you want to leave behind. And uh, we've mentioned a couple of books uh, and some other resources that I'll make sure we have up on the site. There's Khan Academy for people who want to really understand the kind of nuts and bolts of economics, math, um, great ways to learn. And then it uh, sounds like there's a great conference happening in Rome, the winconference.net, W-I-N, Women's, in, uh, Women's International Networking, I guess is what she said. And then uh, another book I would recommend, uh, given that conversation about uh, discrepancies in income, is Breadwinner Wives and the Men That They Marry. That's another great resource, too. And we'll give you more as we um, collect them and, and put them up on the site for you. So thanks so much for listening. Have a great day. And look at how you are living today that is creating your legacy for tomorrow. Have a great one. And thank you so much for listening to Sylvia Global. You can find us at sylviaglobal.com. And you can find out more about me and Jamie at wealthlegacygroup.net. Thanks and have a great day. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.